Welcome to the Persisters Can Podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Lubowitz. Today's certified persister is Carmen Wong. Carmen was born in Toronto and grew up in New Jersey. She returned to Canada to study political science at the University of Toronto and radio and television at Metropolitan University. She began her career as a journalist in New York and New Jersey before returning to Canada to serve as an issues manager in the McGuinty Liberal government. She also served as the Premier's press secretary before becoming the Director of Issues Management and Legislative Affairs in the Premier's office. Carmen joins us today to talk about how she got involved in politics, what it takes to be Premier's press secretary, and how we can encourage more more women to get involved in civic life. Thanks for joining me, Carmen. Thanks for having me, Teresa. Although I have to say, I when you first reached out to me, I was um, I I get nervous when people ask me to speak about myself. <laughs> like I was like I had to like think about it. I had to like read over your email a few times, and then I was like, you know just to take a rest, do it. So thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Okay, so let's start with where you grew up. So I was born in Toronto, but I actually moved to New Jersey when I was about three or four. And I spent my whole childhood there. And uh, I moved back to Toronto when I came here to go to university. I went to the University of Toronto and studied political science and sociology. And um, then I went to radio and television uh, at Ryerson University, now called now the Metropolitan University, uh, to do radio and television, and that led to a career in television. But I, um, yeah, I grew up in New Jersey, came here to Toronto to, like I'm sure many other uh, young adults, I wanted to get as far away from my parents as I could, and uh, Toronto was it. We had spent a lot of summers here because we had family here, and I was really comfortable here, and I really loved it here. And uh, when I got into school at the university, it was um, it was a pretty easy choice. So that led to your first career in journalism, uh, and you went back to the U.S. for that, and you were reporting for Time Warner Cable in New York, and you were also working in New Jersey as well. Can you talk a bit about your career before politics in journalism? Sure. I would say, though, that while I was a student at university, I was volunteering, and I had a summer job working uh, for in politics. So I worked at Queens Park um, with Dominic Agostino for a summer. I volunteered, I think, on a some small campaigns. But my actual first real paying job was in journalism, was in TV. And I went to um, I went back home to live with my parents. They had moved out of our, our, our house in New Jersey and they were in a one bedroom apartment in New York City uh, in Manhattan. And they weren't expecting any of us. I a brother and a sister to come back. So I had to make a cot and put it next to the kitchen. Um, and I drive two hours every day to go and oh freelance. God. Yeah, freelance at, um, in Staten Island. And I get paid, I remember I got paid $80 for every story that I would do. And I would maximum do maybe two stories a day. And, um, and then I'd also try to uh, find other jobs. And so then I landed this job in Trenton, New Jersey, which was only one and a half hours. And so it was it was a tough slog. And um, you know, I, I really love journalism. Like I kind of grew up like watching news and reading news and it was what I always really wanted to do. So I wanted to give it a go, but it it was really tough. Like it, I wasn't making a lot of money. I was moving back home with my parents. And uh, then an opportunity came up to come back to Toronto and I took it. So let's talk about that, the transition back to Canada and then, you know, getting fully involved in politics at this time. So 
you know, the McGinty Liberals were elected to a majority government in the fall of 2003 in Ontario. Uh, and that's where you served as an issues manager for two years in two different ministries. So it was the Ministry of Transportation and then the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care. Can you explain what an issues manager does? Because I think that's a bit of an opaque thing to, you know, mm -hmm. most average people. And then how that role sort of differed between these two ministries, which are actually, you know, pretty big ministries in Ontario, but also very different in the work they do. So an issues manager is, it's kind of exactly what it sounds like. So issues, any sort of problem you might have, um, whether it's a problem in the media, a problem you have with, uh, you know, an individual, a group, a stakeholder, your caucus, whatever it is, it's an issues manager. Um, they forecast, they identify, they analyze, they figure out how to deal with those problems um, from all angles. So how will we fix this uh, with this person? How will we fix this with this group? How do we, what do we say to the media to, 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 to make this, um, to help resolve this issue? there's not always a resolution of course nothing is ever that easy but it's you know what are the steps we take to manage whatever the problem is and um an issues manager at the minister ministry of transportation is is it's the same skill set as health and health and long-term care but there's such different issues like in the ministry of transportation that was the first ministry i worked in and when uh, the mcginty government was first elected and everyone was brand new so we were talking about things like um how to get back control of the the 407 after nine, selling it off for 99 years. So a lot of like road issues, transportation related issues. But then when you get to health and long-term care, it's really about, it's more personal. It's more about people and their problems and um, the stuff that's like really on fire almost. It was, it's just such a, it's, it was a ministry that was more, it felt like the, the issues were a lot harder to deal with and a lot uh, more urgent. Um, and, um, a lot more difficult because they were such structural issues that were hard to find solutions to in the short term. So um, I think the skills and the things I was doing was was the same, but the issues we had to deal with was uh, was diff very different. So after after you did those two stints as issues managers and those two uh, ministries, you next went on to the office of the premier and you became the premier's press secretary, which is basically head press secretary of government. Uh, can you explain what a press secretary does in general and some of the other con the considerations that apply when you're doing it for the premier as opposed to a minister? Sure. So a press secretary is generally responsible for communications with the public and broadly and more specifically dealing with members of the media so being a spokesperson answering questions from the media um, writing reviewing press releases and speeches and making sure that you know we're saying and saying things that are consistent I, I think almost responsible for the brand and back when i was the press secretary actually i'll say this though teresa is i was associate press secretary for a couple of years before i was promoted to full press secretary and i did a lot of work as associate press secretary with um, multicultural media which wasn't something that, that a lot of attention had been placed on so reaching out to communities where english wasn't their first language and i found that really fulfilling actually and uh when i moved up to to the main set press secretary role that was dealing with more mainstream um, members of the press gallery that are in Queens Park and write about Queens Park on a daily basis. And um, 
I think when I was there, there wasn't a digital focus. I remember I was, Twitter just come and I said, you know, why don't we put the premier on Twitter? And everyone's like, okay, but what would he say? What would he do? I said, look, this is what I'll do. I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll put up our announcements that we make. I'll, you know, put pictures up. And this was an idea that was very. That's really wild to think of, you know, politician doing Twitter, just given, you know, the reality we live in now where some politicians are only on Twitter or yeah. in other social media spheres because, you know, they want a direct conduit to the people. Can you talk a bit more about the multicultural side? Because I have always found that very, very interesting. And I think people don't necessarily understand just how many publications there are across Ontario that you know, cover different communities' events, um, are in different languages, there's translation requirements for that. So what did that process look like in order to manage that relationship? They're older, perhaps, they're immigrant populations where they still rely on news that comes in their native language. And so they're not reading the Toronto Star, they're not reading the Globe and Mail, and um, they read these community papers, they listen to community radio stations, or they watch, um, you know, TV shows that are in their language. And we had to try to find a way to reach those communities as well and so my job it I, I would approach it just like I would mainstream media relations figuring out who those uh, outlets are um, making those connections making sure that you're sending them things that you're doing inviting them to all your events and then you know making sure you're translating things and putting things out in their languages in their communities so that they can convey that to their audiences. And um, I, I kind of thought that was really important because, I mean, I, I'm a child of immigrants and my parents, you know, read Chinese newspapers and they should be just as well informed and in, about what we do and what the government does as anyone else. And it's, if you want to be inclusive and representative and reach all those communities and you have to be able to find ways to do that. Yeah, I think it definitely translated into what we were doing in terms of events and tours as well. I, you know, there is something political about it too, right? It's not just purely about, it's not purely a public service. I mean, when you're in politics, your goal is to get reelected and to get reelected, you're not just speaking to people who are, who are white. And so if you don't reach out to those communities, you're missing out on a big segment of the population that could be voting for you. So there's a real political value in trying to, you know, to get to as many different communities as you can. And I, I you know, I don't think this is something that is new that we did. I, I mean, I think we put it a, a focus on it in terms of media outreach, but um, it's certainly something that politicians have thought about for a long time and how to how to tackle that and how to reach those communities is something that, you know, people work on all the time. So it, it's not something new, but I, I liked being a part of it. I liked the work that I was doing when I was um, when I was doing that. So the flip side of that is the sort of traditional media that you had mentioned before, the, the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Stars of the world. They all send representatives to Queensburg to the legislature to be part of the press gallery. And that's essentially a group of journalists from print, radio, television news outlets that cover the legislative process, but also political news that comes out of Queensburg. In my own opinion, too often they're talking about the horse race, but they're there to cover all those different elements of politics. As the Premier's press secretary, you were responsible for managing the Premier's relationship with that group of journalists. Can you explain what that relationship is like between the press gallery and the Premier's press secretary and then some of the challenges in navigating that relationship? I felt, and I still think it is to an extent, an adversarial relationship because yeah, like I, different I, goals. Um, we always, I think we always kind of teach in politics, like the media is not there to be your friend. They're there to, they have a job, you have a job. And so I always felt very guarded and I felt 
that adversarial relationship probably a bit more than I should. And as I got more comfortable in my role and um, more acquainted with members of the press gallery, I mean, these are people who actually I, I would call friends now, um, but really there are ways to work together to do what both people need. So you need to tell the story of what the government is doing. They, they, they need to cover it to an extent, right? Like they need to be able to tell that story too. And the easier you make it, the more likely you are to have a decent story coming coming out of the press gallery. Um, so that's like basic stuff. I, there are times when, you know, there are stories more often than not of accountability and that are very tough on the government. And to manage those, I... I, I found those really challenging and difficult, but actually that's what's fun about the job too, is figuring out, you know, what, this feels like so long ago that I'm talking about this. I feel like it was like a, actually a lifetime ago, because I can't even remember the last, <laughs> like the last issue I did. But I, I remember like the, the the anxiety, the late nights and, you know, trying to like, oh, he's, yeah, he's going to write about this and what are we going to say? What are we going to do? And trying to manage around those issues. So um, yeah, there's like, there's, there's, there's a couple of, aspects to to it um but it's also you know like the premier that i work for premier mcginty had a i think a fairly good relationship with the media he wanted to you know talk to them a lot and that had to be managed he wanted to uh, be available and that hasn't always been the case with a lot of public officials that's that's a pretty fun job actually now i think back to it (laughs) i think it's interesting that you felt it was sort of adversarial at the start because i i worked for a cabinet minister who had been a former journalist and we had to remind him frequently like your job is not to be their friend or to try and get them every piece of information they need your job is to deliver the government's message and their job is to try and see if there's more information that should be drawn into the light or if there's something missing or if there's something inaccurate being being said to uh the media on behalf of the people um and it's funny to me that as a former journalist you didn't necessarily you know, lean into the kinship side of it, you leaned into the, okay, I have to get out the government message. I think I was too, journalism at that point, I was, I wasn't as experienced as I would become later on. So I didn't really understand that side of it until I became a journalist myself. And sometimes, actually, most of the time, it's not about the gotcha stuff. It's not about like, let me ask a question that will trip up a minister so that I can write a really, or I can say a really negative thing about them. Often it's just about, I need the information so that I can tell the story properly from all sides. And I, I think especially the way journalism is now with resources that are so crunched, there's not that time to like, you know, do these deep pieces that um, long form pieces that that used to used to come from investigative journalism. And now it's just, you know, trying to churn out like what the government's doing and what this person, what, you know, what the government's saying, it really is become more, um, I don't know. It's just different. It's just different now. Well, and this is, so we're recording this the day after the Ontario throne speech and the critique that I saw online was that, you know, journalists largely regurgitate the government's message on a day like this. They're not taking a critical lens on as to whether these things are actually accurate, that they're actually saying in this big speech. But to your point, the money just isn't there in a lot of newsrooms to go do deep digging. On on a throne speech, you're trying to get your response out pretty quickly um, because everybody's talking about it and there's, you know, spinners out there doing their thing. So it's, it is a real challenge in terms of timelines and in terms of budgets. But I, I think you touched on something big there, which is 
a lot of investigative uh, departments in newspapers and other news outlets don't really exist in the same way that they used to. So being able to do those deep dives are different. Do you think that creates a more adversarial sort of relationship with the press now between politicians and the press? Or is it, you know, make it less so because there, there just isn't time to get into all the ways that perhaps the full truth is not being revealed by the government? I think it makes it easier for the government actually to do what they want and say what they want with with less accountability or less people to hold them accountable um, with less resources. And it's not that journalists don't want to, it's like even what we talked about with social media, like they're not just, you know, doing a newscast at six o'clock anymore. They're they're having to file on the web, on Twitter, on Instagram, on you know what I mean? So it's like this idea of like having to get stuff out so quickly um, has an impact on quality and has an impact on on how how much you can do and how deeply and more how thoroughly you can you can look at an issue. When you're working at the legislature, whether it's across party lines or between government and journalists, um, sometimes friendships develop. I'm wondering what you think about that in terms of you know whether everyone can still do their job really really well and maintain you know maybe a safe distance and, and be, you know, loose colleagues or, or if real friendships can actually be built across these lines, these professional lines. I think it's possible for real friendships and even like people are married, right? Like people who are journalists who are married to people who are in right. government or, or whatever, right? They just have to, you know, respect that there's a wall and that you don't share information. You talk about something different at the dinner table. And I think it's totally possible. I think for some people it's very difficult and right. There is, there is that line and you have to remember it, but I think it's possible to build real friendships. There was a time where I was filling in as a temporary press secretary as well, which is something that happens in government a lot, apparently. Uh, and a journalist had called me up from the star and they had asked, there was a weekend announcement we were doing, which is very rare. That doesn't happen very often. It was like, I think it was a Saturday announcement and it was essentially about nothing. It was basically a placeholder until we were announcing the real thing. And this person called me up and said, is this a real announcement? Do I need to go to this? I have some stuff happening with family this weekend. Do I need to go? And I said, no don't come. And I think sometimes, you know, being human in those moments, as opposed to, you know, focusing on what you're trying to do in your job, these are still human beings that you're working with. You might not have the, the same goals or, or purposes in, in your jobs, but at the end of the day, there's a real human relationship that can form there. Yeah, for sure. So what does sort of the day-to-day -day look like for the premier secretary? You know, there's scrums, there's prepping the premier for the scrums, there's I'm sure a lot of work done to nail down messaging. What does that sort of look like day to day? So if you're the press secretary for the premier, your day starts really, really early. I think my day started, I'd get up at five o'clock. I'd make sure that I'd be reading at the time. I'd have all four newspapers delivered uh, so I could read them, you know, front to back and um, looking at what was on the 11 o'clock news the night before, what's on morning radio and getting sort of a read of what people are talking about that day and what could develop on any given day. After- Did you have a clipping service? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, for sure I did. For sure I did, but I would also just read the papers by, on my own. And uh, so you do all that, that kind of start your day and then you would have to go to a meeting um, with the senior staff in the premier's office where you guys would all, we would all huddle up and, you know, we talk about, you'd give a briefing to the senior staff about 
kind of what you read and what was going on. And then you'd figure out how to move forward on the day. Um, your next call would be to the premier. Your next meeting would be to the premier in the morning, usually on his drive into the office to tell him what you've told the senior staff and get his his um, his perspective on what needed to be done and and what he wanted to say and do. And then you just, you know, I feel like you, you then you, you you talk to the media, you do a walk around the press gallery, you figure out how everyone's feeling, um, what they're working on, and uh, you try to match that to, you know, what you've what you've seen earlier on, and uh, that takes you to the afternoon, and you're preparing the premier to either go out to the media, do an interview, so you're talking to him again and making sure making sure he's prepped, and uh, you're responding to all sorts of uh, media calls. They might be you know, small ones to big ones. Um, someone might need a stat, but someone might need a comment on, you know, the state of uh, emergency rooms in Ontario. So big issues, small issues, you're dealing with that all day. And it's a pretty long day. And maybe you're going to any public facing event the Premier has, um, the press secretary would have to go make sure they had all the press materials and dealing with any media that were on site. So um, long days, long nights, weekends, evenings, you name it. Right, that's a good point because we we frequently think of the press secretary as somebody who's you know walking around the legislature talking to media prepping the premier but you were out on tour with the leader as well and and you know as someone who's gone out on tour with a minister and with the premier in the past uh that could be pretty exhausting too it's it's long distances it's a lot of time you know preparing in the car it's just focus all day long i imagine it's you know very exhausting and something that maybe you'd rather do when you're sort of younger That's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking just the other day how I could never do this job now. And I'm so glad I did it before. You know, it was really fun. I know they're long days in cars, but you saw so much of Ontario, right? Like you just, it it was just like, I would never go to some of the places that we went to, like, you know, far north, like Kishashawan or like places places you would never go on your own. And so I, I really like that part of the job traveling with the premier. So can you talk a little bit about, that's what the day-to-day looks like, but what are the skills that a press secretary needs to get through that kind of day? What what sort of skills do you need to be doing that job? I think, obviously, you have to be a good communicator. So you have to have really good written skills because you're, you know, writing, writing statements, you're writing um, key messages, sometimes you're writing bits and pieces of speeches or press releases, depending on if you're working for, you know, the size of your ministry good communication skills verbally because you're a spokesperson too so you're talking to media providing them with quotes you're you know trying to say things that are that make sense and uh, sound good um, I think you have to have really good interpersonal skills like you have to like talking to people and being around people which I felt was a that was a struggle for me because I was such an introvert I really forced myself to like be social and you know talk to people a lot and I could get there but um I know that was a challenge for me because I was very shy. And um, I think you have to work really well, well under pressure. Like it's a job that has a lot of pressure, a lot of timelines and deadlines and 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 people who rely on you to do things with the, within a certain amount of time. So those are kind of the key skills that, that come to the top of my head. I think the interpersonal stuff is really interesting because I am also an introvert. And I've always seen politics as a really great challenge for my introvertedness, uh, because it really does make you have to go out of the way to be friendly and energetic all the time. And as an introvert, I find that very draining. Uh, but it's it's not tr- more true anywhere than as a press secretary, because you are front and center with so many people 
all day long. And it it's actually surprises me to hear you say that you are, you are introverted because I would have never gotten that based on our relationship and all your career to this point. So you've obviously My done career choices job. don't make sense. Like as like, well, I'm sure we'll get into, I was a journalist afterwards, afterwards on TV where I literally spoke all day, like had to talk all day. So, um, I don't know why I chose me. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm not <laughs> like a secret introvert. I, I really do feel very shy and introverted and I, I, I fake it sometimes, I guess. And a lot of people do yeah. and to just get, get through it. But I do have a lot of like social anxiety and stuff like that. And maybe I should have chosen a different career path, but it's too late now. I'm 45 <laughs> and it's who I am. <laughs> I, I, it always makes me think back to the episode of the West Wing where CJ Craig, who's the press secretary for the president is talking about the relationship with the media and she calls it a seduction because it's about trying to have this interplay back and forth with the media. And I think that's what extroversion is. <laughs> it's about having this back and forth exchange of energy with other people. Um, so I think, you know, it's, I always call it my retail personality. I did retail mm -hmm. for, you know, 10 years in my youth. And you put on this type of personality to be really welcoming and energetic and just make people feel like they're at home around you. And I think that's what being a press secretary is. It's, you know, it's giving information to people, but it's also making them feel like they're able to ask questions and, and get to the, you know, the facts of the matter. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So. The 20, you were there, you know, throughout the McGinty administration and then the 2011 election approached and you took on a new role in the premier's office as director of issues management and legislative affairs. So, you know, this is similar to what you had done in the past, but it is a much bigger role because you're managing issues across government and working with all the people who are managing issues in the different ministries. Can you talk about what that role entailed and how different it was from being press secretary? Yeah, I you know, I kind of never thought I would do that job. And um, I don't know why, because I was an issues manager before, but I was kind of really happy as a press secretary and uh, dealing with the media. And, you know, I never made it to the 2011 election. I left before then. So my time as issues man director of issues management and legislative affairs at the premier's office was really short. I think it was less, it was definitely less than a year. And um, in that role, so it's very similar to a press secretary, right? Like you're making sure that you, you're, you again, early mornings, five o'clock, you're making sure you know exactly what's what the issues are and how do you know that? Well, you read all the media coverage. And um, it's something different, I guess, that I added to my job then was managing all the issues managers across different ministries. So I think for us, it was like a 7.30 meeting with every single issues manager from all the different ministries. We'd all get together in a room and everyone go around the table and you'd call on people if there's, there had, they had an issue that was in, in, the, in the paper or on TV or on the radio. And we talk through how we would respond to those issues if we were asked about them. And so it was, um, it was managing all those different ministries was kind of the added responsibility. And also legislative affairs meant that I was responsible for the premier's performance during question periods. So um, I'd still be on the phone first thing in the morning with him, but I also have to prepare him for question period, oversee the legislative agenda to make sure that the government was I mean, there are other people that did the, the details, but broadly, like making sure that we were passing the bills we wanted to pass and we were getting through the legislature things that we needed to do. So uh, that was a new part of my role that I'd never done before, but 
um, I think anyone who works in government has a has to have a really good understanding of the legislative process and um, and an interest in that sort of thing. So I, I thought it was a it was a high pressure job as well, a job that where you know you're again your BlackBerry. My husband used to joke I used to sleep with my BlackBerry glued in my hand and fall asleep like reading <laughs> my BlackBerry. So I mean I was addicted to you know my phone and I, I was you had to be on standby all the time because sure. something you know could pop at 11 o'clock and you needed to be available so I, I would say that you know the two roles that are most on call in politics are probably chief of staff and issues manager um maybe press secretary as well, but the issues manager is always the one that is sitting there doing the research, going through clippings, uh, finding out what is breaking and needs to be handled, um, needs to be managed with messaging with, you know, maybe there needs to be policy changes for that. So they need to flag that like the issues manager to your point is the one sleeping with their Blackberry and just constantly on call for everything that's coming down the pipe. Um, I, you know, leaned more towards the com comms planner side of things where you get to, you know, take your time, forecast things far out and not necessarily be on call for everything, which if I would to recommend something to everybody, it would be choose that route <laughs> for, for your timelines and your stress levels. Um, not that there isn't stress in, you know, policy and other comms roles and things like that. But I think, I think issues management is the, the most frenetic. It's, it's the one that gets your, your heart rate up. I think I thrived in it. Like, I think I liked, you know, this pace of, you know, yeah. you're always having to, you know, I, I, I think I liked that. I liked the pace of that. And um, I don't know if I could have been as thoughtful as, as you guys were as writers or in policy. Like, I just, you know, what's, what's the answer? Like, I needed something quick. What's the, what's the answer? What are we going to say? Like, how are we going to do this? And by the time, like as a press secretary, by the time you don't get to decide, right, that, that comes, you're the last yeah. person that hears that. So you just have to figure out how to say it. Yeah, no, it was it was it was a good role. I liked it. I've always thought issues management and comms planning are, are basically two sides of the brain. Like you, I've had to do both roles at the same time, and it's very painful because you just have to change gears so much. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, sometimes those roles get combined, but they really are better left separate because of how different they are and, and the different approaches you have to take to things. Um, something else that is frenetic is campaigns. So during this time, <laughs> you would have participated in an election campaign. What was your volunteer role during that time? How did they sort of use all your skill sets to to help? out the central campaign? I mean, I feel like I've done every single job during a campaign from like, you know, nailing in, it's called a sign crew where you go around and those, you know, camp yeah. signs with people, names on them, you have to like stake them into the ground and it takes two people. I did that. I, you know, grabbed lunches. I've written speeches. I've, uh, you know, during by-elections, I've done every job and it, I think it was, it's really, for me, I thought it was really important to kind of learn all those jobs to get to where I was. And, um, and during the campaign, the one that you mentioned, 2007, because we were in government, um, we had a big, you know, big, lots of staff, lots of resources, lots of structure, lots of money. And so I think I was in the central campaign, which means you're in an office all day. And I was doing what I was doing as a press secretary, which was uh, reaching out to all my contacts. At that point in time, I was doing regional media and multicultural media. So, um, you know, talking to them all the time, making sure that they, you know, knew what we were saying and doing, making sure we we're answering their questions. And I remember um, I was working, who was in charge of comms? Matt Maycheck was in charge of comms during that election. And we'd gotten an amazing uh, endorsement from the Hamilton Spectator from the election, and they were 
I was responsible for the spectator and building that relationship. And I had, you know, built a really good relationship over the last few years and during the election. And uh, that was something that he held up and recognized. And I, that was something I was really proud of during that campaign. Um, so everyone kind of has their little role to play. Like, did that make a huge difference and win the election? Probably not. Um, did it make a difference in that community? Maybe. And so there are, <laughs> that's the benefit of being in government and having so many resources is that you can really um, focus people on what they are supposed to do and do it really well. So I did media relations during that campaign and I focused on uh, regional and multicultural media. So the 2011 election uh, came and went and the McGinty Liberals were just one seat shy of majority that time, which meant it was gonna be a minority government for the first time since 1985. So while they were changing course, you were also changing course in your career too. And you left Queens Park to return to your career as a journalist and you became a reporter for a CP24. What was the return to journalism like after spending you know, so many years being inside the political process and now, you know, moving to the other side, back to journalism. It was very strange. It was, um, so I didn't even take a beat, like between working in government and being a reporter and an anchor. So like literally on Friday, I was in the office at Queens Park. And then on Monday, I was in a newsroom. And, you know, for the first little while, they didn't let me you know, cover Queens Park, but yeah. that didn't really last. So I, I remember the first story I did, it was about um, the death of Ryan Russell. He was a police officer in Toronto and he had died. And I was in a room having to do like a live TV stand up, which I'd never done before in front of people who I've, you know, only <laughs> dealt with as a press secretary. And it, it was just, it was very odd. Um, but you know what, you kind of just, it's something I always wanted to do. I always wanted in the back of my mind to return to journalism at some point. And it was an opportunity that came and I just didn't want to pass it up. And it, you know, I spent eight years there. It was super rewarding, so interesting. And uh, I'm really glad I, I did that. But yeah, no, it was, it was a strange transition. Like, and there was at one point where I had to go report on the government a very, it, maybe like a month later. And I remember thinking, go hard, like go tough and don't make it look like, you know, there's any sort of favoritism. And in fact, I probably went harder than I would have on other governments or any other politicians. Um, it was strange to be in a scrum with the premier, like someone who, like I you know that I was probably preparing for a scrum the uh, two months before. I, if, if I'm looking back at it honestly now, and I was a newsroom in charge of a newsroom, I, I don't know why I would have done that. I, you know, I, I know they hired me because of my knowledge of politics and of Queens Park, but it was also a very strange position to have editorially because they could, I mean, I worked for the liberals for so long, people just assume you're a liberal and that, you know, maybe your coverage might be a bit slanted. So I, I worked really hard to well, this is the challenge, right? Because like you think about pro sports teams and when someone gets traded and they already know the, the playbook for the other team that they're then playing against. And I, I wonder I wonder how much you were able to in that role sort of to anticipate what the answers were going to be because you would have been prepping them previously. Yeah, I, it's it's weird because even though you know what it's going to be, I was also trying to get my footing as a journalist again, too. So yeah, I never done live TV. I'd never anchored a newscast before. I'd never like, you know, I, there's so many things I'd never done. So it was trying to learn that job. And um, it's kind of not 
I don't remember coming as naturally, like thinking, okay, I know what, the, I, I did know kind of where the government was going, but I also didn't have, always have time to think about that. Um, but eventually, like, I did get into a groove where, you know, they'd send me, I'd do every single budget. I hated budgets when I was in government. I hated budgets, covering budgets as a journalist. <laughs> and somehow, you know, they thought I had some sort of expertise. But, you know, yeah, like going through the doc documents and knowing, you know, where things are supposed to be and, you know, looking for those little, you know, secret hidden needs somewhere. Like those are things that you you know because you've been in politics for a long time because you were part of putting those things together. So I think it was really great to have that knowledge. Um and it certainly helped. Do you think that a newsroom would do that now? I know there no. was you know, other journalists who, in one case, had run as a candidate for us and then couldn't go back to journalism after that because of the clear, you know, specific bias towards a certain party. And so, so you don't think that that would happen now, just just given the environment we're in now, too, where, you know, people are hyper, hyper alert to that sort of thing. I think it'd be very difficult. I think a lot of people went the other way. Like, I think there are a lot of people who were journalists who decided to then go into politics. But I think the way I did it was a little more unusual. Um, and I think when I left to do TV, CP24 wasn't owned by Bell. It wasn't like a, it wasn't a corporation. It was owned privately and they had different ideas of, you know, what was acceptable, what wasn't. And um, I, I don't think it'd fly now. It'd be very hard. Right. So in 2019, as you said, you'd done eight years as a journalist for CP24. And then in 2019, you founded your own company, KPW Communications. How does all of your experience in journalism and government to this point help you in the work that you do now? So KPW Communications is, is a full-service communications firm that I started with two partners. And um, the work that I do at KPW is mainly PR. So if you got you have some you know product or something or you have an organization that wants to tell its story, I help you figure out what's the best way to what's the best way to tell it and how to reach your audience. And that is media relations. And that's what I did as a press secretary. So making sure you're, you know, talking to the media and in the right way and getting your story out. I also do a lot of issues, I also do a lot of crisis communications at KPW Communications, and that's what I did as an issues manager. And I think as a journalist, like all those skills, I think one of the common threads is you have to be able to distill really complicated things into easy, understandable information. And um, I think that's something, that's a skill that I've kind of carried with me through all parts of my career and it, it helps you know what I do now too but I think um, I don't know I, I I mean if people hire me because I'm I'm I know how the media works I'm connected to the media I also know how government works and I know how to manage some of the most complicated and pressing issues that there were so I think all of my experiences really put together led me to where I am and it's been the perfect job for me it's been the perfect way for me to realize all of my skills and my experience and my knowledge yeah it's definitely a, a really unique way to build up experiences that just sort of apply across the board and i know you know a lot of people have their career in politics maybe have their career in journalism and if you've done both you're you're very easily able to you know go create a company that can really serve people well um so for my last question here I want to focus on, you know, being a woman in politics. And I'm wondering, you know, after everything you've learned and all these diverse experiences you've had, uh, what advice would you give to women who are considering volunteering or working in politics maybe for the first time now? This is such a hard question because I think for everyone, it's so, di it's, it's different, right? Like I, 
Yeah. We were talking about Christy McMillan earlier. She's she's a part of my origin story because um, we were roommates in uh, we lived in the same residence in university, and she got me my first job in retail. We were working at a tour store, and then she got me involved when she worked at Queens Park uh, with you know Dominic Agostino, and, and she got me involved in all these things. And I, I I don't think I ever would have taken that path if I hadn't met her and I hadn't you know and she hadn't been so just made me think that I could, that this was something I could, could do. Like, I, I mean, my parents were entrepreneurs. I never would have known a single person in politics. And I think maybe that's the advice is embrace risk. Uh, I think every step, like it's, it's really easy to get, to get to different positions and to move up in the political ladder at Queens Park. If you're, if you're merit, if you, if you do the work and if people see that and I think it's a, it's a great place. Politics is a great place to, to have a lot of opportunities. And But every step that I had those opportunities, I always felt like I never knew what I was doing. I always felt like, oh, not, like, what do I know about the media? What do I know about <laughs> issues? Like, what do I, what do I know? And I always, and I think that's something very common with a lot of women is they, yes. you know, they, they think they don't know. And um, I would say as an introvert, as we spoke about, like, Embracing risk is difficult, but that's the only way that you can really truly find what's rewarding and what, what you're good at and what's fulfilling for you. I would also say in politics, like if you love learning about new things or like it's lifelong learning, right? Like think of all the different, like working in the Ministry of Transportation, like I knew, I know so much about the 407 now that I never wanted to know before <laughs> or like, or like, um, long-term care homes. Like it's just, you get to learn so many different things and meet so many different people. And it, it's a great community too. Like I find that, you know, some of my closest friends now are people that I've met working in politics or, or in government. Um, and I think for women who are interested, like find something you're interested in, find issues that you care about. And I think, that's why politics and, and uh, public office is so important because that's the way that you that you can affect change, right? Like it's look at all the things you know we were able to do in government that that really changed the course of how Ontario was going. And uh, you know I think everyone from every political party will say the same thing. Like I I care about this particular issue or I really wanted to see this happen, and I think that's why a lot of people get involved. I actually interviewed Siri. A growl for one of my for a show that I do, right, yeah. and I I remember her saying something really interesting that I thought about later. She said, I kind of asked her a similar question, like you know, what about women who want to get involved in politics? And she had said, I would tell women that they're already doing it. Like people, women don't think about yeah. a career in politics because they think they can't do it, but they're already doing it. Like getting that stop sign at the corner of the street because your community needs it, or organizing your kids this and that and the other, or like that's what legislators do. That's what people in politics already, you're already, you already have the skills and you're already doing it and you can do it. So I, I found that like, I, I really liked what she said when I asked her that question too. So yeah, I would say it's, it's, it's really rewarding, embrace risk and uh, take some chances. I, I think that's a really great note to end on this idea that everything we do is political and we are already building those skill sets to do these types of jobs. So Go on, take that risk. Politics is always a risky proposition because it is not a permanent job. It can, you know, disappear at the drop of an election. Um, but the experience is very rewarding and the things you get to do after are always. 
The Persisters Can podcast is hosted and produced by Teresa Loopwoods. Our theme song, Trailblazer, was created by four-time Emmy-nominated composer Guillaume. And our logo was created by Canadian graphic designer Andrea Ledwell. Thanks for tuning in.